0: Amen. It's good to see you here this morning. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking about during, during worship that, uh, you know, I'm just asking God just to continue to renew my passion and desire for Him. You know, because, you know, the truth is our, our love is weak. Our love is is oftentimes emotional, dependent upon circumstances, whether things are going our way or whether they're not. And oftentimes our love is... It's easily offended. We kind of get burnt out or wore out or or whatever you want to call it. But I just started thinking about uh, when God was calling me to preach. I mean, I was blown away that God would even consider the possibility of using me to preach the gospel. I remember telling the Lord, I was like, Lord, uh, I mean, I don't even know the Bible, you know. And, And, you know, getting up and preaching... The Word is different than getting up and giving a motivational speech. You know, you can kind of get up there and you can wing some things when you're up there. You're trying to speak and, you know, be motivated and, 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 do, and just uh, uh, inspire people. It's another thing to get up and, and open up God's Word because I believe that's what the Bible is. The Bible is the Word of God. And then stand on His behalf and try to share with people, communicate to people, uh, just how awesome God is. I mean, can you imagine having the job, the task of trying to describe God and and who He is and and what all God says and and just how uh, incredibly difficult and impossible that is? I mean, I can't even tell you what chocolate tastes like. I mean, if I can't describe what chocolate tastes like, how in the world am I going to be able to stand back and, and talk about the vastness of who God is? But yet after giving God all of my all of the reasons of why he should not call me to preach and, 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 and tell me to preach, it, it didn't seem to matter to him what my opinion was. And so, uh, you know, I accepted my call to preach. I remember standing in front of... Uh, uh, my local church at the time, and saying, well, it'd be more likely to be for me to be an astronaut than it would be to be a preacher, but I fear God more than I fear failure. And I just stand here today just humbled and honored to be able to share the Word of God with you. And uh, I, I, I love Jesus. I love the Word of God. And I believe God's been speaking to us through this series. I, I, I trust that uh, you're getting something out of it. Uh, and today, if you will, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter number 6. We've been doing a series on the, the kingdom of God. Last week, Clay talked about the leaven of the kingdom. And, and and what a soul-searching message that was. Because the truth is, there's a little bit of leaven in all of us. And our job is to be Open to the Holy Spirit to point out what that leaven may be, and there's a scripture that I wrote down it says that that we are to purge out the old leaven that we might become a new lump and so if there's leaven in your life, whatever that leaven represents, you know he he talked about the leaven of the kingdom and the the the, the leaven of uh, of of herod and and and, and how that just uh, can apply to our lives, you know the traditional mindsets and and, and what we're going to talk about today is the culture of the kingdom. And, and culture, I, I was studying and I was trying to prepare for this message, and there were so many things that that I wanted to say. I, there's You know, everything that I'm going to mention today, I could probably preach a message on, but I'm, 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 I, I desire with everything in me to only speak and share what I feel like God wants me to speak and share. I don't want to share anything more, anything less, but... Uh, Today we're going to talk about the the culture of the kingdom. And we're going to read Matthew chapter number 10, or or chapter number 6, starting at verse number 9. And then we'll read through verse 13. If you're there, say amen. Jesus is speaking here. and He says, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, Now notice he's speaking about the culture the culture of heaven and how God wants the culture of heaven to invade and impact earth. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That that is the purpose of why the church exists. That, that, That is the purpose of every individual here is to bring heaven to earth and be a, be a channel in which the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven can flow through our lives into a world that is desperate and in need of change and transformation. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever." and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being gathered together as your local church body. We are yours and you are ours. And Lord, I pray today that you would open up revelation in our heart concerning this message on the culture of the kingdom and our role and responsibility to influence the kingdom Of this world, because Lord, we know your word says that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And so today, I pray that you would teach us about the culture of the kingdom and then use us to bring the culture of the kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody said amen. The culture of the kingdom. Now, there's many different aspects of a society that make up what we call culture. Once you understand the culture of a people, you are able to understand the people. Everything that makes a nation a nation, everything that makes a people a people is wrapped up in what we call culture. Now, culture or a nation's culture uh, not only includes land, languages, and laws. Every nation, every culture has those things. Uh, A nation's culture also has things like a moral code. Uh, They have shared values, and they have social norms. When you combine all of those things together they give us the definition of what makes up a culture. Now, culture can be a powerful force both for good and for evil. Culture is always a constant influence. And the thing about culture is culture is always in a state and need of redemption. Culture is always in need of being redeemed but once it's redeemed culture can be used as a positive thing it can be used as a good thing but when culture remains unredeemed when culture remains in its present state all uh, culture becomes a force for evil now regardless of what you understand about culture and how much you understand about culture and the influence of culture culture influences every single area of our lives Not only does culture influence our individual lives, culture shapes the destiny of nations. Now, it's important for us to to understand that when we're born, we are not born with a culture. We are born into a culture. Now, let me say that again. I, I want to explain that. We're not born with culture, with a culture. We are born into a culture. And what I mean by that is that culture is not something that, that we uh, naturally know and understand, and, and, and it actually you know evolves out of us or flows out of us. Culture is something that has to be learned. Now when you're born again, you were born into a new kingdom, and this new kingdom has a new culture. It's important for you to realize that each of us has the responsibility to learn the culture of the kingdom. And once we learn the culture of the kingdom, we have the responsibility of taking the culture of the kingdom and impact it, influence the current culture of the world. You know, when when you get saved, again, you are not born with a culture you were born into a culture. Heaven has a culture. Heaven has an atmosphere. Heaven has a, a corset of values. Heaven has a moral code. Heaven has a, a, a societal norm in which he desires for uh, uh, us to operate in. And Jesus makes plain and simple what this culture is. He expects earth. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of people have this you know, rescue mentality. They're just holding on to Jesus comes back. They're just trying and believing and praying and hoping that they can hang on to the rapture of the church. Well, you, you misunderstand why you're here. And, you know, I talked about this a little while back, is that, you know, God can't do anything with a group of soldiers that is looking to retreat any time war begins to raise its ugly head. God is looking for people who are willing to engage in this warfare. And whether you understand it or not, you are involved in a warfare. It is a cultural War And listen, the Scripture says that this kingdom is going to oppose God's kingdom. But the Bible says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. So there's a level of aggression in which every Christian should operate in. Now think about this question I'm going to ask you. What would you be willing to do for God... If only you had greater boldness. What would you be willing to do for God if you had greater boldness? Now that's important for you to to, to understand. It's important for you to ask yourself that question. And I want to encourage you to get out a sheet of paper and write those things. If I was a bolder Christian, I would do this for God. Now, if there's anything on that list whatsoever, you are automatically acknowledging that you're never going to be able to reach your potential because you let fear control what you do and what you don't do. And, and the culture of the kingdom is not to be fearful, but to be courageous. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that those that are fearful, those that do not have courage shall by no means enter the kingdom of God. They will not enter the kingdom. Listen, God has given you, the Bible says, the, the righteous are as bold as lies. But there's a culture that we have to learn. And then there's a culture that we have to learn how to operate in. Like when I first got saved. You know, I'm born again. But for 25 years, uh, the culture of the world had influenced me. The culture of the world had, had affected me. It had trained me how to think and how to act. And, and I was a cusser, believe it or not. And I was a good cusser. And after I got saved, I knew that heaven had a different language that I was speaking. And so therefore, I knew, okay, I'm saved. I'm born again. I have to learn how not to cuss. Now, it took me a year to do it. But one day I thought, you know what, i come up with this idea. I've got to quit cussing, so what I'll do is I will exchange letters and words for numbers. So now when people make me mad, instead of cussing, I simply just look at them and say, you 875309. I'm just joking, I made that up right there, but but, but it was hard because I had to not only learn a new culture, I had to learn a new language. I had to learn how to speak and operate and, 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 and live in this new culture. There were some things I had to unlearn, and there were some things that I had to learn for the first time. But when we're born again... We're born again into a new kingdom. This new kingdom has a new culture, and the king is the one that's in control. And so he wants us to learn about the culture of the kingdom. He wants us to, after we learn this culture, understand it, begin to apply it and live it out in our life because God has called each of you, you and I, to impact culture for the purpose of redeeming man. God's will for your life is to change the world. God never created anybody and never gave anybody uh, uh, any less of a purpose than to change the world. You were created. And I'm not saying that to flatter you. I'm not saying that to help you with your self-esteem. I'm not saying that to, to just build you up and, and, and give you a bunch of fluff and hype and, and, and inspiration. You were created to make a difference in your world. Every one of you carries a degree of influence. And God wants you to learn how to use that influence to make a difference for His kingdom wherever you find yourself. You don't have to be a a pastor or, or a teacher or a singer or somebody that's on the platform to be influential. As a matter of fact, the longer I live, the less I pay attention to what people say and the more I pay attention to how they live their life. Because the way you live your life is your most powerful means of persuasion. I say this all the time, you know, go out and preach the gospel and use words if necessary. And so there's four things I want to give you this morning concerning culture and the kingdom. And the the first thing, this is in your outline, the first thing is what is a culture? What is a culture? A culture is a pattern of human belief and behavior that determines our worldview. And I'm going to use some words here that maybe you're not familiar with or maybe you're a little bit familiar with, but, but I, I want you to understand. A belief or, or, or a culture is a pattern of thinking that uh, of human belief and behavior that determines our worldview. Now, what is a worldview? A worldview is a person's philosophy about life or concept of the world. It's the way a person views life. It's the way a person views the world. It's the filter in which they process all of the experiences of life and all of the meaningful things in life and all of the things that matter and all of the things that don't matter. And having a biblical worldview is extremely, extremely important. Listen, when we fail to have a biblical worldview then by default, culture determines everything for us. If you don't have a biblical worldview, if you don't know what God's Word says about life, if you don't know what God's Word says about marriage, if you don't understand what God's Word says about finances, what it says about tragedy, what it says about suffering, what it says about heaven, what it says about hell, then what you will do is, by default, you will allow culture to determine the most important issues of life. And we are living in a, in a generation where truth is, has no absolutes. More morality has no right or wrong. It's, everything's being redefined. Gender is being redefined. A marriage has been redefined. The sanctity of life is being redefined. And that is not a biblical thing. That is a cultural thing that God wants to change. Are you with me? Now, having a biblical worldview is important. And whether you realize how important it is or not is irrelevant. But I can tell you this much. If you do not know what God's Word says about major issues in your life, then you will by default be programmed and controlled in your mind by what culture tells you is right or wrong. You can believe it. You can, you can say that's a bunch of garbage. I think for myself, yes, you do, and you think wrongly. Because when you don't have a biblical worldview, you install yourself as God. And so to you, God is like this. And to you, God is like that. And to you, the Bible says this. And to you, the Bible says that. You can't allow the Bible to say what it means because you want to interpret it through your own worldview. So it's important that we understand this. Now, if we allow culture to determine our worldview, it will affect everything In our lives, and and what I mean by everything, everything from whether we believe in God or not, what we believe about the purpose and meaning of life, it determines what is truth, it determines morality, and it determines lifestyle. Now, it's important for you to understand that because if we don't know what God's Word says, then by forfeiture and default, we will allow culture to redefine What is right and wrong, what's truth and error, what is worth something, what has value, what is acceptable. And the Bible says this, what you permit on earth, uh, I will permit in heaven. We have authority God has given us, and he expects us to operate in that authority and influence culture for the kingdom of God. So that's what culture is. Now, the second thing I want to bring to your attention is, how does culture impact our worldview? How does culture impact our worldview? Now, there's five things I want to give you, or five functions of a worldview. Now, listen to this. This is up on the screen. Our worldview determines our concept of truth. Our concept of truth determines what we believe. What we believe determines what we value. And what we value determines our decisions. And our decisions determine our actions. And people who do not have a biblical worldview view the most important issues about life totally different than those that do have a biblical worldview. Now, go to this next slide. This is something that, that hopefully will bring it closer to home. For example, those who do not have a biblical worldview are a hundred times more likely to endorse abortion than those that do have a biblical worldview. Those that don't have a biblical worldview are 31 times more likely to believe that living together before marriage is morally acceptable. They're 15 times more likely to believe homosexuality is morally acceptable. 18 times more likely to believe that getting drunk is morally acceptable. Twelve times more likely to believe that profanity is morally acceptable. Eleven times more likely to say that adultery is morally acceptable. Because what happens is when, when you fail to have a biblical worldview, you put yourself in the place of God. What you basically do is you create a God to suit yourself. And when you create a God to suit yourself, you will create a moral code to go along with Him. Therefore, your God permits this, and your God permits that. Your God says it's okay to do this. Your God says it's okay to do that. And I know that this sounds like holiness and hardcore preaching, but I'm just saying, listen, your worldview is important, and culture impacts your worldview. And if you're not teaching your children what the biblical worldview really is, then what you're doing is you're giving your children on the altar of culture... And culture will determine for them what's right and wrong. And you have to realize, when you look at the moral and spiritual state of our nation, the church has failed at some point. Not just failed, we failed royally. And our failure is, we come to a church building where it's safe, It's air-conditioned, we're comfortable, and we have become crippled because of our comfort. We don't have people anymore stepping out on the front lines. We don't have people that are speaking up on behalf of God in their place of work. We don't have people stepping up and speaking out on behalf of God in our schools. There's a few that's out there, but I'm talking about those that are gathered here. In the realm of politics and government, in in the family, there's an absence of moral clarity, and that's because we don't have a biblical worldview, and we've allowed culture to tell us what's right and wrong, what's okay and what's not okay. And so, whether you know this or not, you fall in one or two categories. Either you are a Bible believing Christian that lives their lives based upon what the Word of God tells us is important and valuable, or you are a worldly Christian where you allow culture to determine what is important and valuable. There's no gray area here, there's no gray areas in the Bible. Obedience to God is not an option. But the problem is we try to understand kingdom theology from a democratic mindset. When you're involved in a kingdom, you can't say no, Lord and mean it at the same time. In other words, if he's the Lord, the only answer that you have to give is what? Yes, Lord. It doesn't matter if you feel comfortable or not. It doesn't matter if it makes you feel awkward or not. It doesn't matter if it's popular or not. It doesn't matter if it goes against the grain or not. It doesn't matter if you look like a fool or not. The beautiful thing about the gospel is it doesn't just set us free from what other people think of us. It sets us free from what we think of ourselves. The Bible says Jesus made himself of no reputation. It didn't matter what people thought about him. It didn't affect what he did or what he didn't do. The Bible says he always did what was pleasing to the Father. So having a biblical worldview is critically important. Now, here's the third thing I want to talk to you about. The third thing I want to talk to you about is the culture of the world. The culture of the world. Now, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, that Satan has a kingdom, right? And that his kingdom is diametrically opposed and is at war with the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible says here in 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one. The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Now, when Paul's talking about the God of this world, he's not talking about the geographical material thing that makes up the earth. He's actually talking about the world system, which includes culture. And so, you can turn on your television, you can go outside, you can go shopping, you can go anywhere that you want to go, and find that there's obviously a major satanic influence on the world system, and specifically culture itself. Would you agree with that? Well, if you agree with that, and each of you are citizens of the kingdom, my question is, what are you doing about it? If coming to church was enough to make a difference in culture, then you know what? Culture would already be saved. It's not enough to be Sunday morning Christians. As a matter of fact, if you're a Sunday morning Christian, you probably should get saved because there's no such thing as a Sunday morning Christian in the Bible. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. You may not be in full-time ministry, but you are in full-time responsibility as a Christian. Wherever you are is where ministry should take place. And so we see that Satan is influencing our culture. And there is a war that's going on. And specifically, this war is a cultural war, and the battlefield is the world. Listen to this. Culture is the manifestation of the collective thinking of a people. Their beliefs, their values, their ideas, etc., become culture. In other words, we can make culture and reality and truth Anything we want, if we just sit back, remain passive, and let the world do whatever the world wants to do. And again, I'm not bashing people that are lost. Lost people do lost things. But I can promise you this much, it doesn't do the kingdom of God any good when you get on social media and try to bash people that are lost. They're lost. Lost people do what lost people do. Are you surprised? Jesus said we're supposed to be salt and light. We're to be an influence. Listen, if the condition of our community is bad, it's simply because the condition of the church in that community is bad. The community is a reflection of the status of the church because the church is to be the agent of change For society. You still with me? And so all of us are created and called to make a difference. So when we're talking about the collective thinking of a people, what we're doing is we're taking everybody's opinions together, and when culture is king, then whatever is popular is what's true. That's how you can redefine something that has been an institution since the beginning of time. That's why that we, are, we have legalized abortion, okay? We've legalized abortion and we've called it pro-choice, but if a drunk driver hits a pregnant woman in a certain period of time and months in their pregnancy, that drunk driver can be guilty of two murders. Now you tell me, how does that add up? Well, culture can say whatever it wants to say, and and the people that are just brainwashed by it, and I'm talking about church people, just go, okay. And that's what we've done. When you vote in politicians, and again, Jesus didn't come to set up a political kingdom, but when you vote in politicians who are not, Godly men and women that stand for truth, you forfeit your authority and give it to culture. There's no such thing as liberal and conservative. Saved and lost. Bottom line, the cross makes every man and woman equal. Either you're saved or you're lost. And listen, being saved is much more than just coming to an altar and praying and saying, Lord, I give you my life. There's a moment when you surrender everything to God, and then there's a moment-by-moment surrendering of your life for the rest of your life if you're going to follow Jesus. Jesus never said, give your heart to me. He did say, follow me. But he said, before you follow me, you better count the cost. Listen, being a Christian and getting saved cost you nothing. The only thing that you contributed to your salvation is the sin that nailed Jesus on the cross. But it'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. It'll cost you everything for the rest of your life to follow Jesus. The problem is it's it's hard to follow Jesus wholeheartedly with everything in you when culture has programmed you in such a way that when you want to do what is right, the pull of culture brings you right back to where you started. And I understand that battle. But it's a warfare. I mean, you you can expect that. I mean, that is a reality. There's a culture war and something's going to continue to pull you. Now listen, whoever controls the minds, listen to this, controls culture. As a matter of fact, whoever controls the mind creates culture. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, what that's saying is, the way you think determines what you become. Listen, I'm preaching better than you in this morning, but I'm, I'm just assuming that you're listening well. Whoever controls the mind controls culture. And when we spend more time on social media and on the Internet and and, and enjoying this and that, and listen, everything in moderation. I don't think Facebook is bad unless you allow it to become bad in your life. But if you get your news and you get your truth, if you spend more time on social media than you do in your Bible, you're brainwashed. Listen, our our national media is the greatest terrorist organization on the face of the earth. Everything that they show is fear-motivated, hate-motivated, racial-motivated. It's designed to create an uprising and an instability. Now, does racism exist? Absolutely do terrorism uh, exist? Absolutely. But not everybody in the country is a terrorist. Not everybody in the country is a racist. And not everybody that in the country is out to get you. But if you watch media and you allow the social media and the national media, the world media to tell you what is right and what's happening in the world, it makes you want to just commit suicide and get out of here. And that's just a fact. But God has called us to invade that culture. Not be afraid of it. Not be a hater. But to be a light, to be an example, to be an influence. The problem is the passivity of the church has allowed culture to dominate the majority of the major influences in our world. If we fail to allow the king, King Jesus and his constitution, to govern our lives, community, and churches, then culture will become king. And our children will pay the price for it. You and I have a grave responsibility. What you do and what you don't, I want you to look up here at me. What you do and what you don't do matters. I don't care how bad self-esteem you have. I, I don't care how awkward you feel. You still have responsibility to make a difference and influence culture. When Jesus called his disciples, he called 12 men. None of them were professional clergy. As a matter of fact, being smart was not even one qualification. He simply looked at them and said, follow me. And they were rough around the edges. As a matter of fact, when Jesus needed them the most, they abandoned him. They forsook Him. They betrayed Him. But God's method has always been man. And whether the world was going to be reached with the gospel and the nations discipled would be determined by what those twelve men did in succeeding generations. In other words, at one point in time, Jesus poured His whole life into these twelve men for three and a half years Then he stepped back, went to heaven, and he placed the fate of the church and the great commission in the hands of mortal men. So success or failure were based upon what those twelve men or didn't do, men did or didn't do. You know what? Same's true today. Your plan A and God doesn't have a plan B. Nobody can assume your responsibility and do the work God's called you to do for you on your behalf. So it's important that we understand we've got work that needs to be done. Now, there's seven major areas, and I think this is in your notes, seven major areas in society that shape culture. I'd like to preach on each one of these, but I'm just going to throw these at you real quick. Family, religion, education, business, Government, media, arts and entertainment. those are the seven major influences of culture. Now, I challenge you to take the time to look through each of those and find out whether they are influencing using their influence to for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of Satan. If Satan is controlling the minds, then we're called to invade that. We're called to invade government. Did you know that? We're called to influence government. We're, we're called to influence media. Did you know that? We're called to influence arts and entertainment. We're called to, to influence these different spheres of influence for the kingdom of God's sake, the problem is when we become passive and just come to church, you know what? We give these major institutions of influence control to brainwash the masses. And remember, whoever controls the mind controls culture. Not only controls culture, but creates it. Is this okay with you? I'm going to preach it anyways, but... Go ahead, just give me a nod if it's all good. So the question is, when you think about family, religion, education, business, government, media, arts and entertainment, how are those seven spheres of society influencing your life and the life of your children? Good or bad? Talk to him. I mean, there's some good things that are out there. Again, culture can be used for a force of good. But it can also be used as a force of evil, of bad. So if these seven spheres of influence are influencing you negatively, why would you allow yourself to be entertained and occupied by them? And I'm not saying that you should just shun them. What I'm saying is, don't get caught up in the garbage that's being spewed out. Listen, things are not as bad as they appear to be. I mean, there's a lot of hatred in our nation. There's a lot of instability in our nation. But let me tell you something. Those that are for God, I believe, are far more than those that are against Him. But even if there was just one person that was for God, God and that one person is a majority. I say God and that one person is a majority. You might as well be that one person. Because one person can make a difference. And here's the last thing I'm going to share with you. This is the culture of the kingdom. As I mentioned earlier, we're not born with a culture. We're born into a culture. And as a result, the culture that we were born into determines or teaches us how to think and act a certain way. But when you're born again, you're born into a new culture And now the new culture becomes what's valuable and important to you. The problem is you've spent 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the old culture that has brainwashed you, that has rewired your mind and is still in your heart. See, it's one thing for God to bring you out of the world. It's another thing for God to bring the world out of you. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was no problem. He parted the Red Sea, and guess what? Every single one of them walked across on dry ground. They didn't do anything but follow God. But they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness because Egypt had wired them to think a certain way so when things got tough, instead of, pushing on and pressing on, they would say things like this. Well, at least back in Egypt. Some of you, that same language comes out of your mouth. You've seen God part the Red Sea. Greater miracles than the parting of the Red Sea. But still, when things don't work out the way that you wanted them to work out, you want to look back. Jesus told his disciples, remember Lot's wife. Because when God brought them out, he told them, don't look back. Don't look back. I feel in my spirit this morning, there's some of you that you're being tempted to look back. And I feel like God's saying, listen, don't look back. If you look back, you will go back to everything that you once was. but Understand, you, you're being pulled. You've not quite understood how to operate in the kingdom. You, 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 you've not... Listen, following Jesus and serving Jesus is by far the most exciting thing you could possibly do because you don't know... What might happen when you follow Jesus, but I can tell you what will happen if you don't follow Jesus nothing and I'm talking to Christian folk this morning. you know you wouldn't save to sit you were saved to serve you were saved. To be sent. And listen, the strength of a church is not determined by its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. When you leave for here on Sunday morning, you're not leaving. You're being sent. And if you don't feel like you're sent, then you know what? You're just leaving. But when you walk out the door, the mission fields begin as soon as you walk out the door. Because you don't have to cross the sea to be a missionary. All you have to do is see the cross. Because the truth is, you're either a missionary or a mission field. Everybody needs Jesus. And it's got to become something more than a cliche. Then go ahead and come to music. So when we're born into this new kingdom, there's a new culture The problem is the old culture is what's got control of our lives. So there's a lot of new things that we have to learn. And there's a lot of old things that we have to unlearn. You know, the same is true with church. It's the greatest privilege of my life to raise my children in church. And it terrifies me at the same time. You know why? Because I don't want my children to grow up and to be good church people. I don't want my children to grow up and become just another religious person. I tell them that all the time. God doesn't have any grandchildren. If you know Jesus, you have to know Him for yourself. If you get to heaven, you'll get to heaven because you know Him yourself. You'll stand before him one day, and you know what? I don't care how much you went to church. Going to church won't save you. As a matter of fact, going to church, if you're not saved, you'll stand in the same place everybody else does. Because church has a, has a culture. Have you noticed that? We can take a person that is born again, saved, on fire for God, and, and, and in a couple of years, they become lukewarm, back, and leave. Culture. Don't you think it's strange that somebody can be on fire for Jesus one day and then five years later be backslidden? Culture. Church has a toxic culture that's produced lukewarm, backslidden, half hearted people. that more of a stumbling block than a stepping stone. You know, it's like the... I'm not going to share that. I'm going to hurry up and wrap it up. Let me give you these four things right quick in your outline. You're, you're either being transformed or you're being conformed. There's no neutral with Jesus. There's no gray areas. There's no straddling the fence. It's all or nothing. And I love that about the gospel. God give me something to give my entire life for, and if I have to die for it, so be it. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even be here this morning if Jesus and the work that he's called me to wouldn't worth it. I love the fact that he puts a demand on my life and says, give me everything. I love that. Because we were created to give ourselves wholeheartedly to God. And the reason most people are so miserable is because they've given half of themselves to God. So they've got just enough God that they can enjoy the church and then they have just enough of sin in their life to enjoy the world. But their hearts are divided. But the Scripture says that the eyes of God, they... Go to and fro throughout the earth, searching for a heart that's fully devoted to Him. So, we are to be in a constant state of change. And in your outline here, I'm going to give you these four things really quickly. The first thing is if we're going to be changed, if we're we're going to influence culture and change culture, the first thing we have to do is we're going to have to have transformed habits. You know, the word disciple actually means student. Or learner there's some things that we need to learn it's not a sin to think and don't go to heaven with a brand new brain but we have to have transformed habits and here's the thing there's no such thing as trying things for God there's no such thing as trying for a Christian there's training but there's no trying And the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 7, it says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The NIV says, train yourself to be godly. So there has to be some changing of habits. What habits in your life need to be removed and what habits in your life need to be established? Second thing is, We have to have a transformed mind. Why? It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed habits lead to transformed mind or pattern of thinking. And the way we think determines the way that we act. Our thought patterns determine our behavioral patterns. Culture. Worldview. Third thing is, transform lifestyle. Not only are we called to believe something, we're called to follow someone. And in church, we've got good music, we've got good preaching, we've got a comfortable facility, we, we've made people comfortable, and we've been able to even create an atmosphere where people can fear God. Uh, feel God. But, you know what, we've done great at giving people a God they can feel, but we feel miserably giving them a Lord they can follow. It's more than feelings. It's more than just knowing something. It is following someone. And the truth is, the proof of a transformed heart is a transformed life. And when I'm talking about lifestyle, I want you to understand your example is your most powerful means of persuasion. People weren't changed because of what Jesus taught and preached. You're thinking, that's heresy. No, the Bible says Jesus began both to teach and to do. People not only heard a sermon, they saw a sermon and they were transformed by it. They heard Jesus speak, then they saw how he lived, and they were radically changed. The Bible says anyone who claims to be in him must also walk as Jesus did. Now that's a hard one to swallow, and I've not arrived there yet, but you know what, I'm going after it. If he wants me to live right, I want to live right. If He wants me to let things go, I'm going to let things go. If He wants me to put things down, i want to put things down. Not everything is a sinful thing. But even things that are not sinful can become in the way things. Relationships. Appetites. Hobbies. Those things are not necessarily evil or bad within themselves, but... Listen, a good thing can become an in-the-way thing when it keeps us from following Him. Here's the last thing. The last thing is transformed influence. So the process of transformation happens like this. For our lives to be changed, our heart has to be changed. And once our heart is changed, then our desires change. When our desires change, then our thinking or our mind changes. Once our mind changes, our decisions change. Once our decisions change, then our actions change. And when our actions change, our destiny changes. And when you are walking in your purpose and your destiny, the world is changed. The world is changed by... Whether you fulfill God's purpose or not. Whether you're walking in your destiny or not. Why? Because God has orchestrated plans for you. Ordering your steps. Directing your path. Bringing people in front of you to open up your mouth and share, testify, say something to impact them than God does to change you. That's who you are. And God's made up his mind. Stand with me. Let me ask you this question. Are you influencing culture or is culture influencing you? Here's something that I've learned. The less you have to have of the world, the more you're able to enjoy it. Did you know that? There's so many things that you think that you have to have in order to live. Who's brainwashed you? Culture? That's why we have to buy this and dress like that and and associate with this and all that kind of nonsense. You've been brainwashed. Somebody has programmed you to believe this nonsense. You know what? You spend more money than you make. Guess what happens? Whether you're a millionaire, gazillionaire, or you got five bucks in your pocket. Go try to buy something that costs $10 for $5 to see what happens. Eh. And pretty soon when you start doing the things that God's not called you to do, and going the places God said not to go, and participating in the things that God said stay away from, pretty soon you become just like the very thing that God's brought you out of. So I say again, are you influencing culture or is culture influencing you? Are there some things in your life that you need to unlearn? Maybe you've been in church for a while. I just just feel burden for this. And you've lost your passion for Jesus. You've lost your passion for worship. You've lost your burden for prayer. You have no appetite for the Word of God. You're just kind of walking around like like a zombie, just being tossed to and fro, and you just find yourself here on Sunday mornings because it's part of your routine. How'd you get to that place? What happened in your life? Who told you that this is the way that it's supposed to be? Why have you accepted that as the norm for your life God's calling us, first of all, to be changed. And then go and change. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your word. I feel in my spirit, Lord, I know. We look around at our community, we look around at our nation, and Lord, we have failed. But Lord, I believe you're raising up a remnant of, and Lord, we want to be a part of that. It's going to turn the world upside down once again. You said the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. And Lord, we it'll never happen if we don't invade those areas of influence and influence them for Your kingdom. So Lord, today I pray that You just send a call to the hearts of Your people and those that have been caught up in the cares of life and the deceitful riches of this world that has allowed culture to reprogram them back to what they once were those that have lost passion and desire and a burden that God that you would bring conviction in our hearts or that we would refuse to accept where we are and what we are and that we'd press on to know you Father right now I pray that you would do a work in our heart and in this church. And then as a result of that, God, you would bring transformation and change in our community. As they sing and as they play, I'm going to invite you to come. I can't make you, but don't let fear keep you where you're at when you know God's calling you to himself.